One of the main points of this show is to highlight the content creators of our sport, and we have one of them on the podcast today. Amy Clark is an ultra runner based in Bend, Oregon. She's also the editor-in-chief of Ultra Running Magazine, which celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. It's been a mainstay in our sport. The monthly magazine has recurring columns on topics like nutrition, training and strategy, running culture and philosophy, and race reports. That's all coupled with really cool photography in the same way that I look forward to my subscriptions to Alpinist Magazine and Surfer's Journal. I love Ultra Running Mag for the top-notch photography that's included. The cover is always so cool. Anyways, in this episode, Amy and I cover some recurring themes of the show in a new light. We talk about how and why the sport is growing. In particular, we look at how and why female participation is growing. We look at whether the United States can handle big festival-like ultra-running events comparable to what we're seeing in Europe. We look at whether the FKT and personal project style of trail running that gained popularity during COVID is here to stay. Uh, Amy has experience as a race director, and she offers some thoughts on how to put on a good race. And then, yeah, the whole debate about the East-West cultural divide in our sport comes up, too. This was a good one. Um, I think you'll like it. Without further ado, let's dive in. You are listening to the sixth episode of the Single Track Podcast. Welcome, Amy Clark. Amy Clark, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thanks for having me. And by the way, kudos on the microphone. Anytime I have a guest on the pod who also has a microphone, I feel like there's an instant connection. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes it's it's nice to have. I, I've had uh, recordings without microphones and it definitely feels better to speak into something rather than just kind of talking into the air. So yeah, <laughs> no right worries. On. And, and tell me for a minute about this other podcast that you do with Ultra Running Magazine. Yeah. So uh, when I came on as editor, it was kind of one of those things that I really wanted to do. Um, and so I started it as the host. I was the host mm. of the ultra running magazine podcast. I know it's a long name, but, um, and then just, I think the stars aligned and Scotty Sandow and I met up for beer here in Bend when he was visiting and uh, it just all kind of worked out to where he really, was interested in, in hosting a podcast. So I handed over the reins. So yeah. Okay. Way cool. We're, Way cool. We're, we're flying with that right now. So it's been good. And I think we'll dig into it a bunch in this episode, but the first thing I want to cover, and I, I, I do this with every guest, but there's always unique answers. Um, you obviously are the editor at ultra running magazine. As a result, you have a really good pulse on the sport where things are headed, where things have come from. What is exciting you most about our sport right now? You know, it's funny. Um, I do. I, I feel like I have a good pulse on the sport just because I'm kind of a geek that I follow what's going on. You know, I'm on Twitter a lot and it just feels like it's kind of easy to keep up with the sport in certain, you know, if you check certain things and you're just kind of on social media regularly. Um, I feel like I have a good, a good pulse on it, but that's just because of my interest in the sport. Sure. Um, not necessarily because I'm editor. Um, a year or so there's been a definite shift and i don't know if that's just because um things kind of 
halted to a stop and then restarted up again. Um, but I get really excited because I feel like things are not only growing because the sport is definitely growing, but things are also, people are getting interested in the sport because they want to go run, you know, this trail or that race, or, um, there's just, there's so much excitement around the sport right now. Um, it feels like it's, there's this kind of excitement bubbling. And so that's, um, that's kind of, that's, that's, that makes me excited too. So do you do any tracking at the magazine? Um, for how new entrants into the sport find us? Is it like word of mouth? Do you have any sense of where new people are coming from right now? We don't, we only track the number of um, finishers every year. So we, we track, uh, yeah, it's basically just the number of finishers. So that's kind of how we, we've over the past, uh, it hasn't been 40 years that we've been tracking it, but it's been at least, I want to say the early to mid nineties, we've been tracking it and it, every year it just goes up so those finishes increase every year along with the number of races of course but gotcha yeah it, you know it's funny like we you know uh i guess we're still in it but this uh covid crisis has almost in my opinion been a way to bring people into the sport like if you are uh, in quarantine um and you need to find a way to kind of find joy in life and to maintain your sanity through all of this chaos trail running is a great outlet. And I think you talked about this with Jason Coop on his podcast. Do you think that's been a growth factor? I definitely do. Um, you know, when you're in lockdown for, you know, however long we were in lockdown, um, I think a lot of people realized that getting outside was probably something they didn't do enough of and getting on the, the trails and, and either running or whatever they were doing, biking, obviously biking definitely became a huge thing as well, yeah. but, uh, running, you know, second best or first best, in my opinion, was something that, um, a lot of people decided to go out and start doing. And, you know, that translates to, Hey, maybe I should go run a race. So maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. It all depends on experience, obviously, but, um, a lot of people decided to challenge themselves and go run in the woods. So, you yeah, know, yeah. most of those races are ultras at this point. <laughs> cool. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the magazine. So for those unfamiliar, uh, you work at Ultra Running Magazine. Talk about uh, what purpose the magazine serves, uh, what the value proposition is when someone opens up an issue of the magazine, uh, what they can expect to find. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so Alternating Maz- Magazine has been around for, well, it's our 40th anniversary this year. So we we started in 1981, um, just on the East Coast. Actually, a few guys just decided to put a magazine together and start, you know, sending it out to folks. And that's how races were advertised. That's how word of mouth got out there. That was how people saw their results. Um, it was in print. Otherwise, you know, there's no internet to... Now, yeah, newspapers were probably printing results, probably not ultra results, but um, that was kind of how they started and, and um, it kept going and, um, and now it's, it's become, well, it was black and white for up until 2007, I believe. Um, And now it's a full color, um, 72 page magazine. It's got, you know, we've got columnists that have been with us for a long time and, Gary Cantrell was, was there at the beginning and he's still with us. Um, so 40 years of that. And then, you know, coaches, elite athletes, um, 
and Trayson was a columnist for a while. Um, so you can expect when you open it up to find not only experienced and, you know, knowledgeable um, columnists, but you can also find features on stories from back of the pack to the front of the pack. Um, and then we have our race reports, of course, that have just become bigger and more beautiful as the years go on because our photographers are so amazing. We can get these beautiful, beautiful shots. Um, and uh, also we, we're still publishing race results. It's obviously not all of them, but um, but if we're printing a race, then the results definitely get in there. So, yeah. Are there any particular sections of the magazine that you look forward to with each issue? You know, I'm the editor, so I, uh, I like the whole package. I'm, I, I have to look at it as an entire thing. And, um, when I send it out to print, when we send it out to print, I have to make sure that I'm happy with the entire thing. And so every single article, every single column, every single race report, um, I, I get excited about, I love it. So, gotcha. Yeah. Well, one thing we like to talk about and to look at on this podcast is sort of the business angle in anything ultra running related. And uh, I'm curious to know how ultra running magazine has evolved over the years as a lot of things have gone online with the advent of social media, with Instagram, Facebook, um, and whether any of the business model changes in upcoming years to accommodate just the ways that people prefer to consume content. Right. So, yeah, of course, we as a business, we have to think about that kind of thing. Um, print is obviously not as popular as digital is right now. Um, but magazine is our that's what we do. We put out a magazine every you know nine issues a year. So um, we have but we also we have to accommodate the people that like to look at it online. So we're currently um working on that, which means working on our website, working on social media, um, but also providing things to our subscribers that, you know, other people wouldn't be getting if they weren't subscribing. So, um, you know, whether that's training plans or um, a Western States entry, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we have a, we sponsor the race. And so we actually have a spot. And so we're, we're last year we gave, not last year, I'm sorry. Um, before it was canceled in 2019, we gave that spot to a contest winner and he ran it this year. So we're going to do that again. Um, but stuff, you know, stuff like that, that, that our subscribers actually really, you know, we have a, we have a 12 month calendar that we've been doing for a couple of years. That's a training calendar that everyone receives, um, at the end of the year or beginning of the year. Um, but it's those little things that we can provide for our readers that, um, you know, mean that we're more than just a magazine. Um, and we're going to keep building on that as well. Um, so, and also online providing a race calendar. Um, we provide race results. We are, um, you know, building on the website every day. So trying to provide stuff for people that, you know, normally just to kind of prove that we're not just a magazine, but we're a full-fledged media company. So, yeah. That's really cool. And with, with the website um, and with the internet in general, are there any like plans to build, and maybe this already exists, okay. like message boards, for example, like one of the things I'm thinking of on like the road running side of things is like letsrun.com, which, right. uh, you know, is obviously one way of doing it, but are there any plans to build some sort of like community function on the website where like people can go to like comment in real time on ultra running topics? You know, we haven't, um, 
talked about that. I have to, I have to divulge that we are a pretty small team. Okay. So our capacity to do stuff like that is, is pretty minimal at this point, but um, that has come up in our discussions. And um, I think that given the right platform, it could be a huge thing. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, building that platform. So um, definitely possibility for future, but uh, our team is definitely maxed out at this point. So we're just trying to keep everybody um, building on, uh, you know, making sure the magazine is in people's mailboxes and, and uh, making sure that people know about us. And so, yeah, that's definitely something that, that has been on the list. So I'll just say, (laughs) well, one, one other thing I want to comment on, I think this is a really cool way that the magazine does content is they drip out on it. You guys drip out on Instagram, the top 10 male and female runners of the year. Right. On like a day-to-day basis sometime in January, I think it is. Right. So we have ultra runner of the year. Um, that's a, that's a thing that we provide for the community and, um, it's voted on by a select number of people, um, based on race results. And, um, that is, it's, it's a kind of a thing that's been going on for quite a while. Um, and so once that is voted on that, you know, the top 10 men and women, we actually release the winners, um, I guess, yeah, it would be mid-January. And then the the February issue is a complete um, alternatives of the year. Uh, it's it's not only the results of those the, those votes, but it's also statistics from the year. So you find out, you know, how many runners finished ultras this year, how many people, um, how many races there were, and then the top times, like the top 25 times, the top 100-mile finishers, 100K finishers, 50-mile. <laughs> I mean, there's there's stats for all the geeks out there. So in that one issue, so it's a, it's a really fun one to put together. It's different. Um, and it's a lot of people look forward to it. So I find myself refreshing Instagram each day uh, during that, during <laughs> the that one time there. Totally. I mean, I'm a geek. I, I love the sport, but so I, and this is one other inside baseball question. I've always been curious to know how that committee is formed to determine the voting and then what the process looks like, how, the, the committee comes together to vote on each of these runners and how the placements work. Like, I, you know, how does it work? It's top secret. I can't divulge. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, it, you know, it's not top secret. Some people do say, Hey, I'm, you know, voting for ultron of the year, or, you know, there'll be people that, that kind of let others know that they're voting or that they're a, they're a voter, but um, yeah, it is pretty much top secret. I mean, you know, it's been going on for a while, so it may not be completely top secret, but this is, this is, this is news to me. I didn't know that. Um, it's like a smoke back, back smoke filled room. Yeah. Um, how, how big is the committee? I think there's about 30, 30 oh, to wow. 40, 30 to 40 people on that, on that uh, list of, you know, the people that get the ballots. So, yeah. I and think- you know, it's, it changes every year. It's not always the same, but yeah. So um, my day job, I'm a marketer and uh, I think this is a cool marketing tool. You can make, this is a top secret committee that decides the fate of 20 of the top runners in our sport. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the growth of the sport for a minute. Again. Um, I read a stat recently, actually, I think it was Bob Crowley at ITRA that mentioned this, that ultra running has been growing 15% year over year for the last decade and a half. And by contrast, all of the forms of running have been flat. Do you have any insight into what's been responsible for the growth in our sport versus, you know, road running, for example, and track and field? 
Um, well, if you look at the stats, um, ultra running was a really small sport back in the eighties and nineties. And in the early two thousands, it kind of started to grow a little more rapid pace. So I would, I would say average 15%, maybe give or take. Um, and as the sport started to kind of take off with younger, you know, faster people, um, that were kind of getting headlines, um, and media obviously was a big yeah. part of that, the internet, social media. Um, my guess is that the growth continued because race directors decided to put on more races. Mm. Um, more people were, you know, entering. It was easier to get the word out about each race. And mm. then, you know, obviously we've got beautiful trails that people are running on. And it's like, who, who doesn't want to go, you know, run a hundred miles on the Western States trail. Um, it's, it's definitely in it. I can only speak from my personal experience, but, um, as a former marathoner, um, I definitely looked to ultra running as the next kind of bigger challenge. And so, um, I think more marathoners mean possibly more ultra runners. So cool. Cool. Well, on that same, on that same thread, uh, the, growth in female participation has increased as well. I think it was about 75, 25 male, female 20 years ago, and now it's closer to 65, 35. Um, What do you think is accounting for that growth and and what do we have left to do and what can we do to get that number closer to equal participation? Um, So female growth, you know, it's, it is, it's getting bigger. And um, I moved to Bend 21 years ago. It'll be 21 years next month. Um, And I, you know, was running, looking for running groups to run with and, you know, not a lot of females out there that were, you know, some, but they were really fast and I was never a fast runner. Um, and so it was really difficult for me to find friends to run with female friends. I should say, I, I was running with guys a lot too. Um, and so I think that the growth in trail running is just a matter of, um, other women, trying it out, seeing other women at races, you know, wanting to, um, make that jump into an endurance sport that they might be thinking of in the back of their head. You know, if for me, it's, it's always been a big question because when I came on as editor, um, you know, everybody was really kind of, that was always the question. It's like, why aren't more women running? And to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. I have two yeah. kids. Um, it's difficult. It's not easy, but it can be done. And I, I kind of, um, emphasize that, that as a mom running makes me a better mom because, you know, I'm out there, I'm just giving, you know, this example to my kids that I can go out and run a hundred miles or, you know, whatever it is. And, um, I think that there's maybe just a, a kind of a break when, when women become moms, it's a little, just that a little harder. And I think maybe it can be done, but it definitely, um, I think there's a lot of people out there that can prove it can be done now. So maybe those examples will help boost, um, the participation of females. I, I don't, you know, necessarily think that obviously, um, and I'm still seeing this, but uh, a lot of women that run ultras are not necessarily moms. Yeah. And so, um, 
there's that gap right there. You know, it's like you've got women who are amazing ultra runners. Some are moms and some make it work really well. Um, but there's still that, I don't, I'm not seeing the, the moms on the trail as much as I thought I would. So, um, so yeah, so we're growing, we're getting there, but it's a slow growth. And are there any, are there any ways that the sport is currently configured or set up that isn't conducive to female participation that we should think about reworking? Um, I think that there's, you know, there's organizations like trail sisters that has addressed, um, this kind of thing where you've got childcare that's provided, you've got female, um, products at, um, uh, you know, aid stations. And I think that's becoming pretty mainstream right now. Um, which is definitely, uh, in my opinion, you know, ways to help women get women on the trail. Um, as far as, as, you know, other things that can be done, I just, it really, you know, anybody who's going to run an ultra really needs to be mentally into it and, you know, ready to run. And I just think that, um, I don't know whether there's, there's something we can do to prove that it can be done. Um, I just think that there's just gotta be more women out there that are getting it done. So it's going to come with time. Like I said, um, as more moms get out on the trail, maybe more moms will follow. Cool. Very cool. Uh, changing topics. I was over in Chamonix, France last week, and this was the first time in my life as an ultra runner that I saw an event with multiple thousands of runners at a start line. Um, one cool thing about the magazine is there is that whole catalog of stats that show like finishers per year at different American races. And I think the biggest one and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the biggest one we have in the U S is the JFK 50. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. It could have been, um, topped by the Marine Corps marathon, which had a 50 K as well, uh, recently. Well, in the past couple of years, gotcha. I think okay. they became the biggest, but yeah, JFK 50 is definitely up there. And like the vast majority of races in the U S are remarkably small by like, it's like 200 to 400 finishers per race. I'm curious, like what constraints do American race directors have in opening up the field to more participants? Is it like a land issue? Um, is it possible? Do you think to ever host like a UTMB like event in the U S um, and is that going to be something that's going to be like a growth constraint? Like, is it, is the number, is it always going to be small here because we can't have that kind of like festival atmosphere? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I think that's one that a lot of people continue to wonder. Um, and I do believe it is a land use issue. Um, obviously we've got the forest service that's going to allow permits and the bigger, you know, races are going to start. If you get a hundred miler out there, that's on, you know, private property, county, you know, BLM forest service, there's got to be permits for all those. So it's, it's, um, it's definitely to me personally, I mean, I'm, I'm not a race director anymore, but, um, I I've gone through that whole process and I know that that is a big deal. Um, kind of Palm actually was just canceled this week I saw that, down yeah. here in Southern Oregon because of a permit issue. Um, and that had to do with not only COVID, but wildfires, but that was the forest service. That was their call. Um, and so to get a bigger, a bigger group that tops a, a thousand, at least, you know, even it's, it's hard to say because, um, I think if it could be done, it would be done. I just don't know where we would find the trail to go. I mean, you've got 
dang down in um arizona you've got aravipa doing bigger races like black canyon right. and and javelina so they you know obviously they can get it done um i don't know if they could ever go up to a thousand or more but um it's possibility i guess uh yeah it that they're the ones i think of when it comes to festivals and whatnot um you know down in the desert but um but but you know the <laughs> Europe has the Alps. And if you're going to, you know, look at that and go, that's, you know, that's a party in the mountains. Um, I don't know if we can replicate that. So um, we might do it differently, like I said, in the desert or something, but I think we're still going to run into permitting issues. So it was like a whole nother world over there. Like from Monday to Sunday, there was something either event related or, you know, uh, correlated to each event going on each, each and every day. Like I always think of like these events in the U S as like, you know, one-offs, like, you know, the race is on Saturday and maybe some participants finish on Saturday. And so it's like a two day thing, but this was seven straight days of, yeah. of events. And, um, a lot. Yeah. You just wonder like, it, you know, is that ever, could that ever be a thing here or is it restricted to Europe because that's just a cultural thing, but it was cool. Yeah, definitely. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. It was, it was fun. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Um, and if anyone has the chance to go over there at some point in their running career or life, I, uh, I fully endorse it. Awesome. Um, okay. So you, you have, you have background as a race director and also you, you work at the magazine. Um, I'm curious about this next question because I've always thought it would be the coolest thing to put on a race, but we've all, we also know that like things are getting saturated. Like we could be at a point where the supply of races is outpacing demand from runners and people want to go to Europe. They don't just want to stay in the, in the U S anymore. They want to go worldwide. If, if you're an aspiring race director, um, how do you differentiate yourself from the rest of the field? Like what are some of the factors involved in putting on a quality event that caters to everybody in the field from the front to the back of the pack? Like what was your strategy? Um, you know, I think that most, uh, race directors try to, at least what I tried to do was emulate what I like to see in a race, what I like to experience in a race, which was, um, not only a great course, but, um, great giveaways for prizes, raffles, you know, give the runners whatever you can to, to make them excited about running, um, you know, awards that are, you know, high quality and, um, just make it a, a family type atmosphere as far as, you know, making them welcome, you know, making them excited to run, um, celebrating their finish, giving them a great, you know, finish line to come into it's, it really does. And I've seen this with all with the races I've done, you know, the race director does is mirrored in how the race is put on. I think that every, every race director wants to see themselves in the race. Um, and so it, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the number of ultras has changed in the time that I've been editor. I mean, with the pandemic, we had a lot of ultras get canceled um, two years in a row, even, you know, Miwok was canceled two years in a row. Pine to Palm has been canceled two years in a row. Those are just a couple examples of the ones that I've been close with, but um, you know, and so we've seen some get canceled by wildfires. Like um, I was actually just thinking about the gorge waterfalls uh, ultras. I did, um, I did the 50 K and then I did the hundred K in 2017 and, you know, 
the unfortunate thing was the the big wildfire that happened up there that really damaged a lot of that area. And those are still on hold. I don't know if they'll ever come back, but um, you know, we're seeing a shift for sure when it comes to um, races and whether or not that's saturated yet, I'm not really sure. Um, I think there's still a demand and I think definitely there's a demand for hundred milers. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing that with the lotteries that are popping up, you know, one, one race used to be open and then all of a sudden there's a lottery in the way. Um, and so there's definitely a growing demand. I just don't think we're quite saturated yet. I think there's just been a shift. So we'll see in the next few years what happens. Um, but North America still has a ton of races and people are still starting races and it's been great. So, um, I love to see the excitement. Um, yeah, I just found out about a new hundred miler uh, here in Oregon for next year and, um, excited about that. So it's always fun. I mean, I definitely think there's still a growing interest. So one comment, one question for yeah. comment, uh, very selfishly. I'm so glad to hear that you think that there's demand for hundred milers still. Yeah. I had Carl Meltzer on the show yesterday and we were brainstorming uh, a brand new uh, uh, loop hundred miler in the central Wasatch. If you're familiar with the area, starting yeah. and finishing in main street park city. Cool. Listeners are going to get so tired of this because I'm going to harp <laughs> on this for the next like seven episodes. Right. But that's great to hear. So that's comment. And then, um, the question I had is, uh, and I think you talked about this with Jason Coop again, is, you know, when, when, when we were in lockdown and all the races were getting canceled, there was um, a lot of people ended up doing personal projects. They went for FKTs. Do you think in, the, in that process, we lost a lot of people to that type of ultra running? Or are they all going to come back because like the community function is so important and they like to be in, you know, running with a, lot, with a group of people? Um, that's a good question. I, um, I definitely feel like the FKT thing was, was a, was a substitute for the races. Um, it was a way of racing without actually, you know, it was race, racing each other without actually going to a race. It was individual style. Yeah. Um, and I do think those people are going to come back because I was at Western States this year and I saw the community come back together and it was, it was incredible. I mean, there was a, there's an electricity to it that, that, even I was doubting, you know, in lockdown, I was like, I don't know if this is ever going to come back. Like, am I going to, do I, am I, you know, is it ever going to feel this way again? And right back at it, Western States, boom. <laughs> it was like, I, know. I, I feel know. it again. It feels so good to be back. So, um, so yeah, I do believe those people are going to come back and I do believe it's going to um, continue to be a community sport that, um, and that's why people show up. I really do. Cool. Very cool. Um, this next question here is also one that is recurring on the show, but I'm fascinated by it because in just for context, I grew up on the East coast. I'm from Portland, Maine, moved to Salt Lake city about six years ago, honestly, because of trail running in a lot of ways. Um, so I feel like I have perspectives on both the trail running cultures and I'm curious. Uh, I think anybody that pays attention to the sport, there's a huge difference. Like the, I feel like the heart and soul of the sport is really out here in the mountain West and on the West coast. And a lot of the competitive elements of the sport are also centered here. Same thing with media. Uh, do you have any perspective on why it seems like the East coast is, I'm going to use the term afterthought in, in our sport from a cultural standpoint, like how come they don't get as much love as the West coast? Um, you know, I, <laughs> it's a, it's something that we struggle with as a magazine to, 
not, I mean, cause most of our subscribers are on the West coast. Um, and it is something that we continue to work towards to get, you know, in all, actually all areas of the U S besides just the West coast. So you've got yeah, the Midwest, yeah. right. which is, which is a growing community. I mean, we've got, um, ultras that are popping up in Ohio and I mean, Tennessee and gosh, all the States it's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, but the East coast in particular, uh, I don't know if there's just a lack of trails. I, I, I honestly haven't been to the East. I've been to the East coast once. So I ran Boston in 2008 and, um, back then trail res trail running wasn't even a, you know, a thought in my mind right. really. Um, but you've got people like Jason green who are doing all the Yeti runs down yes, in Virginia. Yes. And then you've got, you know, Amy Rusiecki who's doing, um, the Vermont 100 and other races up there. You've got, um, David Horton who's in, uh, oh, Virginia, Virginia. Virginia. Thank you. And he's, he, I think he stepped down from some of his races as race director, but he really was cultivating a, a great scene there. Um, and so it's, it's, it's still a, it's still an amazing hub for ultra running on the, on the East coast. I think it's just, um, there's a little more space possibly on the West coast to run. I, I, I don't know the difference, but we're finding it, you know, we're finding all the trails and we're finding all the, all the possible, um, you know, spots we can put races, uh, all across the country. So even Texas and, you know, I, I love that I can open my inbox and get race reports from, you know, Alabama and Tennessee and Kentucky and Kansas and just all over the place. It's great. And that's actually one of my favorite parts of the magazine, the race report section, because it's, it's a, it's an unexpected, in my opinion, discovery mechanism for new races and mm -hmm. just like overall appreciation for uh, less obvious areas of the country where ultra running takes place and it's growing as a culture. So right. yeah, that's really cool. Good. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So this next section, uh, I've been workshopping the name at one point in time, it was called the lightning round. Uh, Eric Sensman <laughs> changed it to the quick and dirty. Nice. I mean, we're, cause that was apparently a column in I run far no oh. longer. And I'm borrowing the name. Perfect. Uh, if, you, if you can think of a better name, by all means, we're, we're still <laughs> workshopping this thing. Uh, the first question is sell listeners because you're from Oregon, or at least you're based there right now. Sell listeners on why Oregon is one of the best places in America to be a trail runner. Okay. Well, I grew up in Salem. Um, I made a quick stop in Montana for college and then I came back to Bend. So Salem is in the Willamette Valley, which is lush and green and all things rain. Um, but we've also got the, uh, the Oregon coast, which is amazing. And it's also wet and cold and dreary, but, oh, we've got, like I mentioned, the gorge waterfalls, which is the gorge trail, uh, up North. We've got the central Oregon trails, which, you know, there's, they're different. Um, it's a little more dry over here in Bend, um, but they're still smooth and, and buttery in the fall and the spring. Um, and then, you know, we've got all the trails of them, like in the, the mountain ranges. So we've got the Cascade Mountains and we've got all the, you know, Mount Hood and Mount Bachelor and that whole range has... It. <sighs> Well, we've got that range, but we've also got the, the coastal range and the number of trails I'm still learning as, as an Oregonian, um, 
I actually just ran on the Waldo trails, uh, the Waldo 100K. I didn't, I DNF'd for listeners. I, that was my first, well, second actually. Um, but I had never been on those trails and um, truly, you know, beautiful old growth trees. Um, it's what I love about ultra running and Oregon has some of the best. So um, it truly does feel in some areas like there's a rainforest going on but you can find almost everything. So even Ashland, um, yeah, there's, there's a plethora of beautiful, beautiful trails out here. Are there any, like, are there like two or three races or events in the area that, uh, runners from outside the state should put on their bucket list? Do I want, do I want to say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so some of my favorites, um, McKenzie river 50 K it's been around quite a while. Okay. Um, it's one of the most beautiful trails. And unfortunately they did have a fire, um, down in that, on that corridor. Um, recently it was last year. It was, it was pretty severe. Um, but that trail is absolutely beautiful. Um, and let's see. So McKenzie river 50 K, um, Oh, I'll go with, hmm. Okay. McDonald Forest, because that was my first 50K. And it's really, really um, heard good things. Hilly, muddy, and all the fun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'll go with that. So, this is a funky question. What's a, what's a question that you wish you were asked more often? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I thought about that. I was like, God, what? I don't want anybody asking me any questions. <laughs> as an editor it's like you get all the questions in the world um but truly uh personally i think that if more people ask me why i run long distance because people just kind of look at me and and say what why did you why did you run 100 miles and i think most ultra runners know that exact look um but if the if somebody asked me why do you run long distances you know at least i could give them a good answer i had a childhood friend visit recently and he knew that I had run hundred miles, but he never really asked me why. And then this word obsession kind of slipped out of his mouth and I went, wait a second, <laughs> it's not an obsession. So ask, ask me why I run long distances and I will give you a reasonable answer. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a hard question, but for me, it's an easy answer. So I like that because I think you represent our sport well too. So you'll provide an awesome answer. Um, what is the most recent bit of wisdom that you've come across that you'd like to share with the audience? Because maybe it has widespread applicability. Mm. So based on my last answer, um, to your last question, I am a Ted Lasso fan. So the new show on Apple TV, well, not new, they're in their second season, but, um, the, the coach Ted Lasso has had some really good zingers and one he brought up, which actually wasn't his, it was Walt Whitman and it's be curious, not judgmental. And that's why I said, you know, ask me why I run hundred milers. Don't, don't judge, just be curious as to why I run hundred milers. So anyway, I thought that was, that was, um, a good, that really stuck with me. So I like that. And I also, I got to check out Ted Lasso because you're the fifth person in the last like week that's uh, encouraged <laughs> it. And, uh, it's great. Yep. I'm going to dig in. I think this is the final straw. Uh, what is last question? What is something that isn't big now, but you think will be big at some point in the future of our sport? It could be a form of training, nutrition, a style of racing, a style of clothing. What do you got? 
Well, I think this this will be a different answer. Um, honestly, I think it's the diversity of the sport is going to change, and um, you're going to see a lot of diverse people out there running on the trails, and that's what I love. Um, I'm I I just feel like this whole shift in ultra running is gonna you're not going to be just running, you know, with so-and-so from down the street or, you know, the next town over, you're going to find people coming from across the country, um, to these races and you're, it's just going to become so much more diverse than it ever has been. Um, and I love that. So I'm excited to see it. I think that's, what's going to happen, but you can, we can talk in a year and we'll see if that's actually true. So I think that's my favorite uh, answer to that question so far. Okay. Cool. Well, that's, that's all I have. Uh, it's been awesome having you on the show. Is there any initiatives you want to plug? Is there anything about the magazine you want to plug? And then where can people find you on social media? Yeah. Um, so it is our 40th year. Um, and we'll just kind of be coming up with a few other, um, exciting, you know, prize giveaways on social media for all of you who follow us at ultra running mag on believe Instagram and Twitter. Um, and then yeah, alternative magazine on Facebook. Um, me personally, you can find me. I'm Amy writes at Twitter. I don't always put that out there, but I'll put it out there for you. <laughs> and I'm Amy A L Y S on Instagram. So I think if curated correctly, Twitter is the best social media platform. That's my bias, but I actually like, I agree. And I have, I have, I have finally curated my Twitter feed and it is lovely. It is, it's like the best way to get my news every day and my ultra running news too. So it's awesome. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Uh, Maybe we'll have you on at some point in the future. Hopefully we'll have you on at some point in the future again, because our sport is changing fast and uh, we love your perspective. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, Finn. I appreciate it. That was cool. Thanks again to Amy for coming on the pod. I'd like to make a double plug for Ultra Running Magazine. It's good content. And uh, I'm a subscriber, and I think you should be too if you like the sport. What else do I want to say? Send me your questions. I'll start putting out the guest list on social media uh, well in advance right now. I just tend to ask questions that I'm personally fascinated by and At the present moment, if you can't tell, my mind is obsessed with all things race directing. So I'm sort of on a mission to collect all the tips, tricks, best practices that I can uh, find from these people. But I'm also here to serve you, the listener. So send them in and chances are strong that I will include them in our conversation flow. That's all I got. I am heading out the door in literally 10 minutes to go pace my uh, longtime friend and running partner, Eli White from Brighton to the finish at the Wasatch 100. I love this sport and I love you all. Remember to rate and review this on your podcast player and to share it on social media with your network. That is all I ask. Until next time.